0: just saying that your faithfulness is great, your word tells us your faithfulness is great, but in our hearts we believe you are fickle. God, in our hearts we think we've got to perform, we've got to behave to gain from you. God, help us to be open to another perspective. God, help us to, to recognize to be aware of the moments, to be able to name them when we have made the voices in our head your word. God, I pray that we would hear from you today. God, you are there. You are not silent, as the old adage says. Help us to hear you this morning. God, I pray your spirit would move and that he would do things that are beyond our ability to even comprehend. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Good morning, good morning. My name is Craig. I'm the senior pastor around these parts. What do you do when you find yourself in a season that doesn't feel like there are very many open doors? What do you do when it feels like opportunities, opportunities, Open doors aren't there. I have a friend. His name is Dave. Dave and I went to seminary together. Dave is smart and a good writer. So are a lot of people in seminary. But doors just flew open for Dave. We took a class together. Dave said some smart things. Yours truly felt like he, you know, contributed a little to the conversation. But after class, Dave, the professor, Dave... Man, you're really with it. You need to be my grader. What? That professor was kind of a big name. Dave ends up hanging out with him. Gets around even bigger names. Ends up getting all these writing deals. You can find, if I tell you Dave's last name, you can find articles he's written online. Doors just fly open for Dave. Uh, Dave has the craziest stories, too. And the, the doors just fly open for Dave. Even at Chipotle. Even at Chipotle. We're at Chipotle. And he's getting his rice bowl made. And he does one of these. And they just put more meat in it. (laughs) Well, I'll try that. They're like, (laughs) move along, sir. All right? This is a business. Trying to make money here. Doors just fly open for some people. What do we do when we find ourselves in a moment where it doesn't feel like doors are flying open? For... Say the future of Christianity, the church, faith, it's no secret, it's been no secret that Christianity has a young people problem. For years, we're not talking about like two or three, many, many years, it has been known that when people who grew up in church, who grew up, and we're talking Protestants, when Protestants who grew up in church come of age, they leave. All right, Lifeway Research just sent out a survey in 2017 where they asked, 2002, not 2001, 2002 young Protestants, they, they when asked, quote, did you stop attending church regularly for at least a year between the ages of 18 and 22? So when these 2002 Protestants were asked, Did you stop attending church regularly, twice or more a month, for at least a year between the ages of 18 and 22? 66% said yes. 66%. Sociologists have comforted us by saying, don't worry, they come back. This morning... I just want to ask or maybe even poke or give you permission to say I Don't know if that's true They may have come back in the past but as we talked about something shifted the zeitgeist is different We're not in Kansas anymore. What happened? Several things have happened. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the political shifts that took place to how people now view Christianity in a weird, suspect way. There are generational shifts. All these things, things have shifted to where people no longer view church the way they used to. One of those shifts that took place uh, it's, is this emergence of a new life stage. We don't really know what to call it yet. Some people call it adult adolescence. And some people call it failure to launch. You can guess which generation came up with which. <laughs> but it used to be for like, say, say my grandparents, my grandmother and my grandfather, uh, when they turned 18, they very soon after get married and my grandfather gets a job that he's in for forever. Adulthood started. That is not happening with young people today. And please, 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 I am not saying one generation did it right and one generation did it wrong. All right, that's not for me to decide. I'm just saying, I don't make the rules. This is what's going on, all right? So one generation, life starts. There's a very clear, again, whether it's right or wrong, like, boom, now you're a up. you've got a mortgage and miles to feed. Fast forward to where you have people in like their late 20s, early 30s, making a ton of money, Living with mom. All right? What churches used to bank on was, oh, they'll come back in their mid to late 20s. These people who've left, they'll come back because those kids, (laughs) they're wild. And they want to put them in Sunday school and someone will teach them morality. They'll come back. Don't you worry. Again, though something has shifted. A, church was never really a morality training ground. All right, that's not what we exist to do. But now that's seeming less and less like uh, something people are looking at churches for because of this emergence of this category of thinking called spiritual, not religious. So if you're my age and older, you can remember a time when people, you're like, spiritual, not religious? Yeah, there was a time when people, that was not a thing. And if you're younger, you're like, what? What do you mean that was not a thing? Yeah, wait, you had to be religious to be spiritual? I just thought, what? It's a generational thing. It's a new phenomenon. It used to be, if you were not religious, you were also not spiritual. In, in extreme cases, you were a materialist. You're like, we are just stardust. We're going to return to dust. Nothing matters. I'm going to go read Nietzsche and drink scotch, right? That was what it was. You didn't, you know, now though, starting like the late 80s, early 90s, you can have this deep connection to nature and just feel this sense of of euphoria going out in nature. You, wow, like there's something bigger than me. You can also understand what's going on inside you and you don't have to be tied down to organized religion. So you can be cool without having to like tie yourself down. It's a relatively new phenomenon. And so what happens is all of a sudden churches who Wrongly, we're saying, oh, they'll come back to learn how to be a good person. People are like, what? You don't need God to be a good person at all. What are you talking about? And you don't. Just think about it for a second. Like, can our neighbors be great parents, like present to their children, good citizens, great coworkers, tons of fun to be around, and totally secular? Yes. So if what we're offering them is morality, it's like, uh, uh uh-oh, which is why, in my opinion, you've got like hellfire and brimstone preachers just cranking it up to 11. Like, well, you think you're really good, but I'm going to really scare you and show you you're not. Something shifted. This is new. So these people, oh, don't worry, they'll be back. Maybe. But it doesn't seem like that's necessarily an open door. There's another thing that shifted. Pop post-modernism. Noam Chomsky uh, was recently in Palestine speaking about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And he took a political position and he said this is right. As in there is right and wrong. And my position is right. After his talk, professors and people in the university came up to him and said, how dare you say that? You cannot say there is right and there is wrong. That implies you uh, have this grand view of everything. You, that's, that's an instrument of power. If you know anything about Noam, Ch- Noam Chomsky, like it's like, what? But again, people, it's pop postmodernism. There's no meta-narrative. There's no big story that explains everything. There's no truth claims. People who claim to know truth, that's just people trying to use power. What do churches do? Hey, there's a story, and you can find your life's meaning in that story. And we think it's true. Yes, because you want power. Couple that with what we talked about a couple weeks ago. Churches have done terrible things to acquire and amass power. And so some and it's pop postmodernism. Like our neighbors are not reading Foucault and Derrida, okay? It's just it's just filtered out into the pop culture, and it's just pop postmodernism. So you've got people who are at best they think church is odd, and at worst, they think church is really bad. And we're like, hello, would you like to come to church with me? Can I can I think about it? Okay. Church is becoming really odd. It doesn't feel like there's a ton of open doors. And so for those of us who are here, what becomes crucial, what becomes of the utmost importance is to know why we're here. We can't assume, oh, we put up a nice sign, the floors are clean. People will come. Build it and they will come. No. No. Church is getting stranger and stranger. And the answer, the answer to why we gather is even stranger. The answer to why we gather. Well, why are we gathering? What are we doing when we gather? We gather to hear a word from God. If we haven't lost our neighbors yet, bye bye We gather to hear a word from God. That seems crazy in our land where something shifted. Louis C.K. was a, a very successful comedian. And then in 2017, allegations of sexual misconduct found him out. For many years there had been rumors and he had always denied the rumors, played them down. But then enough women came forward where he admitted, I got caught. Yep, this is true. And then didn't apologize, just went away. He recently came back and did an interview and I was like, well, gotta hear this. What's he gonna say? And you know, what I saw, I didn't hear him answer the questions i wanted him to answer but he said something fascinating he said something absolutely fascinating he was talking about the importance of nature how important nature is to him now some of you know who louis ck is because like about 15 years ago pastors all over the country he was on conan and he said like oh man everything's awesome and we don't care and they showed his video and uh, in church, and then a bunch of people YouTubed him, were like, this guy's a Christian comedian. And they're like, oh, oh, no, he's not. Oh my. And then they got mad at their pastors, okay? So uh, as far as I know, Louis still the same guy, okay? Uh, not a person of faith, okay? And here's what he says about nature. Remember, think spiritual, not religious. He's like, we absolutely need nature. You know, people go crazy if they don't see the sun. He said, me, I live in New York City and I need to get out of the city. I love to go. I have this spot on the ocean where I go. And listen to what he says. And I see the waves as the waves come crashing in. <laughs> I'm describing this because you're from the Midwest. You, don't, you may not have seen this. <laughs> as the waves come crashing in, Louis said, it's like the universe says to you, oh, you think you're something? You're nobody. You're nothing. We didn't need you, and this will go on long after you're gone. You're nothing. Now imagine if Louis had someone in his life who said, Louis, I hear you. And are you open to another perspective? See, the psalmist, Louis, felt just what you felt. He saw the bigness of the universe and was like, whoa. And here's how he said it Who is man? Whew. He felt just what you feel. He resonates. But he also said, Who is man that you would be mindful of him, O oh God? The universe is big and makes us feel small. And God speaks into that smallness and says, I see you. I care. What if we heard from that God? What if he still speaks? We gather to get that other perspective. We gather to hear from God. And I recognize how cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs I sound. But we are here together to hear a word from God in a moment where it feels like there are not a lot of open doors. People are not curious. Oh man. But just because doors don't fly open doesn't mean your days of walking through open doors are behind you. Just because a door isn't flown open doesn't mean you can't push a door open and walk through it. And so we gather to hear from God. As strange as that sounds, that's what we're doing. That's what we've always been doing. And if you don't believe me, please turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. A very similar state the early church found themselves in. They were in a culture that thought what they were doing was strange as well. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, we start to see how the early church navigated living in that strange world with not many open doors. And listen, here's Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They, that's the early church... Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we want to hear from you. God, help us to be present to the moment. Give us ears to hear, God. We know that your spirit is moving. And so, God, help us to see what it is he's doing. Bring to mind the things that you want to bring into the light. Because, God, we want to meet you and be changed. ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For the past several weeks, this series, what we've been trying to do is to say, like, what are we doing? Right? Like, there's been a lot of confusion. Where are we going? Who are we? What are we all about here? And we've said, hey, what do we exist for as a church? We exist to create space for people to discover Jesus and find their place in his story. We exist, come as church, to create space. That's hospitality. We're trying to say, hey, here's a space where we want you to discover Jesus and find your place in his story. We want to see you meet Jesus. That's that evangelism component. We want to see people who are far from God be drawn to God. And find your place in this story. That's that growth. We want to both meet Jesus, be evangelized, and then discipleship, grow. Discover Jesus, find their place in the story. And we've talked about four spaces that we're trying to create. Gathering, connect, serving, and blessing. We're saying, hey, we're asking for four and a half-ish hours of your week where we can do this. Discover Jesus and find our place in his story. So the gathering is important, that's today. Why gather? Hear a word from God. We're going to talk about that. But you also got to connect, serve, And then go out and bless the world. A danger we have in that is presenting this linearly. All right, first you come on a Sunday morning. Then it's very important for you to join a connection group. Uh, But but after that, you must serve. So don't gather and then serve. Get out of there. Don't, no, no coffee served from you. You need to be in a connection. No, you need to connect first. Don't think of it linearly. Think of it like a baseball diamond and like a kidder baseball diamond. My boys love baseball, and we play in our, our driveway all the time. And Jet, oh, excuse me, Jet finds himself frustrated with Bowie on a regular basis because Jet will pitch to Bowie, Bowie hits it, wham, and then Bowie runs straight for second base. And Jet's like, "Come on, go to the first!" And then Bowie runs to third, and then first. That's what we're talking about today. Hey. You can gather with us, and then hey, yeah, we need someone to just serve coffee. That's great, right? That's awesome, totally. It's not like, whoa, 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 go to a connection, group first. No, no, we're just saying here are four spaces where we want to commit ourselves to, and we think growth will take place in those. Today, we're spending all, a, a lot of our attention talking about the gathering. And we can't talk about everything that happens in the gathering, all right? There's a lot. Like, we're not going to talk about communion, but communion is wildly important, all right? We're not spending a ton of time talking about singing, also wildly important, all right? We are talking about what we do when we open God's word right now, all right? And we're saying that we gather to hear from God. And again, please don't hear me say, well, when we're singing, we're not hearing from God. No, you absolutely are, all right? I'm just saying, like, hey, this is my job, and so I'm going to speak into that. I want to let you know what we're doing right now. I'm not telling you how Luke and Troy and everybody else do their job. I'm telling you what we're doing, explaining that right now. And I think when we explain our gathering, something that happens is there's these three invitations that we, we experience. And they're invitations. All right? They're not obligations. It's an invitation. Once we get clarity about what's happening right now in this space... In this early fall morning, summer's over, baby. All right? It's fall now. On this fall morning, in Columbia, Missouri, in 2022, what's happening here? I just want to explain what's happening, and then that I think just three invitations come out of that. Invitation number one, which I have to be very careful. I have to be very careful because it's very, very, very easy to misunderstand. And I don't know, I've been misunderstood before, it's hard to be clear. So I want to be really careful with how we explain the first invitation. The first invitation that we think happens on a Sunday morning is this. Be here. What do I mean by that? What I'm trying to say is that mindfulness and presence is not an invention of late 20th century secularism, mindfulness and presence. Being here is nothing new. Being present. There are so many books popping up right now about reclaiming the lost art of conversation. Aware, rediscovering the power of presence. Because we are regularly bumping into people who though their body is in front of us and they sometimes make eye contact with us, they are not here. They are somewhere else. And we think if we're gathering to hear from God, invitation number one is to be here. People at home in the live stream, I am not saying you're doing anything wrong by being at home watching a live stream. We understand there are health complications, there are risk tolerances, all those things. I am not saying be here, but I am saying be here. (laughs) Be here. Look with me at Exodus 24, 12. This is when Yahweh calls Moses up to the mountain and he's going to give him the Ten Commandments. He goes into God's very presence. God has a a cloud of smoke. And Israel's like, come up. Moses like, come up all of Israel. And Israel's like, "Mm, no thank you. They all waited at the base of the mountain. Yahweh said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. All right? Many translations like the NIV, the NLT, the NASB, the ESV, they all translate that Yahweh said to Moses, come up onto the mountain and wait. That I would argue is a bad translation. The Hebrew verb Hayah is used thousands of times in the Hebrew Bible, and it doesn't mean wait. It means to exist, to be. Rabbis have pointed this out for, for years. They say it's redundant for God to say, Hey, come up on the mountain and be here. It's redundant. He doesn't need to say that. If you come up on the mountain, where are you? You're on the mountain. There's an invitation there. Come into my presence and really be in my presence. Be here. I'm going to keep being careful, but we're going to keep moving forward. Okay? You hear me being careful? I just need some. We're okay. We're okay. Sometimes not much happens on Sunday morning because too much happens on Saturday night. Sometimes not much happens on Sunday morning because too much happens on Saturday night. Now what I'm not saying is we have a plan for your Saturday night. We're gonna prescribe what you should and shouldn't be doing. I'm not saying you should feel guilty because you had friends. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not trying to create some like really religiously strict, oh, Saturday night pastor said I gotta like wind down, no fun. I'm not saying any of that. You know what you need to do to be present. I have no idea what you need to do to be present. Some of you went to bed last night at like 3.30 and you're like, "Woo, ready to go. All right, I'm not here to create a standard. I'm saying there's an invitation if we really are gonna hear from God, that invitation that God gave to Moses is what he gives to us, be here. Some of you that means you need to put your phone on airplane mode. Some of you, you don't. Whatever you need to do to be here, that's the invitation. To be alert, to be aware, to be present. Say, okay, I'm here, Lord. I'm listening. Because that's what these gatherings were. Look back with me in Acts chapter 2. They, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The word devote means attached yourself to. To make a strong connection. They weren't just like, hmm, I didn't really like what those apostles said. I'd heard some of those stories before and they went a little long. No, you were either there or you weren't. And they were like, man, God is speaking through these apostles. And we just receive. We attach ourselves to this. Not just that, but to fellowship to each other. We don't do this alone. We're doing this in community Breaking of bread, that's hospitality, maybe communion, no one really knows. And to prayer, talking with, inviting awareness of him into these moments. That's what the church gathers to do. I'm going to push this a little further. Well, I'm not pushing scripture further. I'm going to say let's dig in deeper. That's a little clearer. Let's dig in deeper. Augustine, maybe you've heard of him, says this. When the Bible speaks... God speaks. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching because they believed that when the apostles taught God's word, they heard from God. Let's dig in a little deeper. John Calvin, our homeboy, said this. God has so chosen to anoint the lips and tongues of his speakers that when they speak, the voice of Jesus comes out. That's not unique to Calvin either. It's in the Heidelberg Catechisms, but if you don't believe me, this is Calvin's Institute's number four. When spiritually gifted people stand up and teach us the word, it's like Jesus is teaching us the word. Do you hear the agency in that too, by the way? Calvin's saying God uses people. We gather together to hear a word from God. God. Because we tell ourselves messages about the world, and we naturally equate that with truth. Louie, staying on the beach, saying, you're nothing. Didn't even question that. You, your boss comes in and says, hey, we really like you. You've been doing a great job at work. (sniffs) Cutbacks. We'll, uh, we'll give you a two-month severance, but you're out of here. Man, I must have done something wrong. God doesn't care about me. My life is falling apart. He's, he's judging me. He's punishing me. You have made an, a, a theological assessment about your situation, but have you heard from God? We gather to hear his word taught because when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And so the invitation is to be here. The second invitation the second invitation has to do with, you can see some of this in Acts chapter 2 near the end. In, in the end of this passage, it says this, that uh, in verse 46, every day they continued to meet together. So gather, they're gathering in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were honest and they were happy to be together. Woo! Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday. We're asking you to embody that. We think that's an invitation. If we really are gathering to hear from God, and if we really are living in an age where something shifted, where people are not just like, man, I have a crisis, I'm headed to church, they know what to do. If something did shift, the only reason people are coming to church, not the only reason, but probably the biggest reason people are coming to church is because their friend invited them. Someone they trust, someone they like being around, someone they know said, hey, you trust me. We like each other. We like being together. Will you come to church with me? And they take a risk. Yeah, I'll come to church with you. And so we need to keep in mind that every Sunday is someone's first Sunday. Someone brought their friend who for years they have been building trust with. For years, they have been cultivating relationships with, and they took a risk and said, come here with me. Let me just tell you what, that is not the time to give that stranger your thoughts on the coronavirus, all right? Well, you know, the thing about corona, well, the thing about Nancy Pelosi and her recent visit to Taiwan, not the time. There's a time and a place to talk about those things. Guess what? You did not find it. Every Sunday is someone's first Sunday. And if church is weird and church is bizarre, don't affirm that to them. (laughs) Treat your friends' friends the way you would want your friends to be treated if they stumbled in here. Be happy to be with them. See them. The word for that, the biblical word for that is hospitality. Listen to the writer of Hebrews. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. The word for hospitality literally is love of strangers. You can't show hospitality like this to your friends. Let's just call it being a friend. Strangers, people you don't know, remembering every Sunday is someone's first Sunday. And then I'll just leave you with this nugget that the writer leaves with us. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Invitation number two, every Sunday is someone's first Sunday. Invitation number three, don't leave your apples at the orchard. It's fall. It is. Just, you have to embrace that. It's cold outside in the morning. The seasons have changed, okay? Summer's over. You didn't make that trip. Better luck next year, okay? School's starting when? Oh, yeah. It's fall, baby. All right? Besides the impending feeling of winter coming sooner every year and your bones hurting and you're wondering if that's just old age or this weird Missouri air, besides that, there is like a small blessing that comes with fall. Apple orchards. You get to ride a hayride. Someone makes you a hot apple cider donut. It's fantastic. You get to spend a lot of money walking outside to pick apples that are really, if we're honest, the same quality as Aldi's. Here's what I've never seen at an apple orchard. I have never seen someone spend all that money on apples, walk up to their Subaru Outback, leave them at the foot of their car, and just drive away. No. They take the apples with them. Don't leave your apples at the apple orchard. Things Happen here on a Sunday morning Don't leave those things here I would dare to say 50% of our gathering Takes place in the parking lot A new person recently commented to me "They're like, Man, this church is beautiful I said, why? It's just so cool after a service To see how many people linger And stay together and talk Don't leave that here. Right? We're talking about the early church. What does uh, does Luke say in Acts 2? He says this. He says that they they devoted themselves uh, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Right? They were devoting themselves to the fellowship. Take that with you. The messages that we hear here aren't meant to stay here. How do we know that? This is what Paul says about scripture. Remember, we gather to hear from God. Here's what Paul says about scripture. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful. The word useful doesn't, don't think like utilitarian, like, oh, this is, I can do this. Think of like, here's what it does. All scripture is God-breathed and here's what it does. It teaches us. It offers us that other perspective. Rebuking, that's like when a dearly loved friend gives you a wake-up call correcting. How's that different from rebuking? Don't think correcting. Think, think like life-giving. Like, hey, you were headed over here toward death. Here's life. Restorative. That's what it means. Restorative. And for training in righteousness. You, that's not all going to take place in a moment of inspiration on a Sunday morning. That was cool. That has to go into the week with you. It, i I said this before. I'll say it again. If you think, That Christ can be formed in you and you can be transformed and really see the reality of this new creation breaking into the old creation in one hour a week, you are setting all of us up for just disappointment. It's not going to happen in one hour a week. Look at your phone and look at how much time you spent on your favorite news sources' website this week. You give that real estate to Fox, you give that real estate to MSNBC, you give that real estate to CNN. What's keeping you from giving that real estate to to the the one who loves you and gave himself for you? If if it's just an hour a week, we're all failing each other. So don't leave your apples at the orchard. Now, these invitations come with commitments. You're like, well, you're inviting us into doing this, but how do we know? What are you doing on the other side of this? There's five commitments that the leadership has said Here's we take this gathering seriously. We think this is a space where people can discover Jesus and find their place in the story. Here's five commitments that we have to really focusing our energy around this. Commitment number 1. Teachers must be spiritually gifted. Teachers must be spiritually gifted. There's a reason Jesus came not as a political leader not as a social activist, but as a teacher. Jesus came as a teacher. Mark 3 says this was the reason I came, to teach. He did that on purpose. It wasn't accidental. Besides the fact that no political party has on their record raising the dead. And besides the fact that uh, social activism, while good and we encourage, uh, isn't the heartbeat of transformation. It seemed to be teaching for Jesus. Look at how uh, Paul describes it in Ephesians 4. He says this, Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Spiritually gifted means we have received teachers, people, men and women who speak here. We have received a a spiritual gift from Jesus and we are using that gift to serve others. All right? We were, this is in uh, the first century in Rome when like a general would sack a village. They would, you know, they'd pillage the village and then they'd give the treasures to the Roman citizens that they lived by. That's exactly what Paul has in mind when he says that Jesus gave gifts. He's defeated sin. He's defeated uh, the enemy and he gave us gifts as to say, hey, experience life from my gifts. People on this stage, we are committing to saying, if you're going to teach at Compass, you must be spiritually gifted. Why? Because we believe on a spiritually gifted teacher teaches in line with scripture, you get John Calvin's quote. God has so chosen to anoint, that's the idea of gifting, the lips and tongues of his speakers that when they speak, the voice of Jesus comes out. We're not just going to play fast and loose and be like, well, this person asked... They're nice. We like them. Here you go. Well, how do you know if someone's spiritually gifted? And the church has had, like, kind of these marks for recognizing this for years. Some of them are uh, do we see life change from people's teaching? Right? Or are people just like, man, that teacher, you know what they taught me? They taught me that sermons is just a waiting period for lunch. I'm like, whew. Or are sermons, like, provocative? Right? Revolutionary. Like, oh, wow. Like, the kingdom of God really has broken into the world. And it really did change something. And I think that person believes it. And I think they're inviting me into a new way of being. Oh, my goodness. I don't like this. I'm out. Or, yep, I'm giving my life to this. Spiritually gifted teachers. That's our commitment. And it comes with another commitment, though, that teachers must model the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control Part of the reason why, it's not all the reason, but part of the reason why we're experiencing so much turmoil in churches is because we've put gifting above character. We said, man, yeah, they're kind of a jerk, but they sure can fill a room. Let's just, you know, we'll figure it out as we go. We're saying we're not going to figure it out as we go. Teachers here must model the fruit of the Spirit. The character needs to match the gifting. Now, are we perfect? No, there's four people I live with who will be very quick to tell you I'm not. But it's about direction. It's about direction. Saying, hey, we're, we are striving to be growing disciples of Jesus. Yep, we mess up. We confess. We're not putting on a performance here of like, hey, I'm perfect. Be perfect like me. Nope. We're saying, like, hey, we're committed to following Jesus. And and you can see that through the fruit of the spirit that you see in our lives. That's commitment number two. Commitment number three. Teachers must be committed to growth. I get asked a lot, what are your thoughts on, and then you just pick the wildly controversial topic. What are your thoughts on January 6th? What are your thoughts on China and Taiwan? What are your thoughts on critical theories? And it's like, I don't know. I don't know but I'm committed to growth and I'm committed to studying and learning and being a curious person and keeping my ear to the ground and learning and thinking and being alive, right? We're not saying like, oh, hey, we had a good idea 10 years ago and we just kind of figure out how to rework it. No, something shifted and we want to be present to the people who are with us and say, hey, here's questions people are asking and I'm going to, best I can, be present, learn and grow. Like I thought I thought I left seminary knowing a ton about the Bible. Five years later, I'm like, I don't know anything about the Bible. This is so terrible. Ten years later, I'm like, I don't know anything about anything. <laughs> we're committed to growth. We're not trying to be know-it-alls. We're saying, like, hey, if we really are saying we're gathering together from he- to hear from God, we're going to give that, as teachers, a real college try. We're going to really do the effort. We're going to, as a mentor of mine used to say, we're going to keep our butts in our chairs until we've done the hard work. We're reading. I read. I don't like reading. I read like it's going out of style. I, I study. I'm listening to stuff constantly because I'm like, hey. If I'm saying this is what the Bible says, I really want to be sure I know what the Bible says. That's the commitment. Here's how Paul said it. In 1 Corinthians 9, he said this, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should, meaning to be a good teacher, it's not just like, hey, did you study a lot? But did you have your life in check? It's part of that character stuff. I discipline my body as an athlete, training to do as it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. We as teachers are committed to doing the hard work, to learn, to grow. We don't want to be in the same place we were five years ago. Oh, that's a nightmare. We want to be curious people who are constantly learning and growing, learning from broad perspectives. If you were to come into my house and look at my bookshelf, you'd be like... Who who is this human being? I don't even know what field of study they think about. It's because we're just curious people committed to growth. All right? And that's our commitment. Commitment number four. Teachers do not assume. Remember, every Sunday is someone's first Sunday. And you can trust us to be careful with your friends, to respect that. A story is told by Ken Davis that perhaps might be apocryphal. Uh, But he was invited to do a chapel for the Chicago Bears in the 80s. Apparently, they're like a super godly team, unlike uh, other teams. (laughs) But the Chicago Bears invited... This was in the days... Does everybody remember uh, William the Fridge Perry? Okay. So this is when uh, the Fridge was playing. And Davis gets invited to speak, and he's talking to the coach. And the coach says, Hey! Hey! I bet you 50 bucks that the fridge doesn't know the Lord's prayer. And Davis goes, you're wrong. And then he goes, what in the world am I doing? I'm betting over the Bible. This is really weird. And so coach says, hey fridge, will you give us the Lord's prayer? The fridge stands up and says, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. At which point, the coach pulls out 50 bucks and gives it to Ken Davis and says, Man, I can't believe the fridge knew the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) People don't know the story. We don't know the story. I finished seminary with people who hadn't even read the Bible, like the whole thing. And again... This is not a shame thing. We're not trying to win Bible trivia. But like, if you stand up to people and say, who are the 12 disciples? Why are there 12 disciples? What prophet in the Old Testament shaved half his beard? We just don't know the story. We don't know the story. And again, the goal isn't just to fill our heads with facts. But that means as preachers, we're not being assumptive. We're not assuming that everybody here is seeking the same thing. It's like, who do you preach to? Humans. Human beings. That's who we preach to. And we're not assuming that everybody's with us and we're not assuming everybody thinks like us and we're not assuming everybody knows what we know. We're going to be less assumptive. That's why you're not gonna hear words from me like, I mean, I've said these words, so just umbrella. But like, we try not to say words like atonement, covenant, propitiation. All that does is make us feel smart. I don't know what that means. But I kind of know the general direction he's going. We're good. We actually want to teach. We really think that we can teach our way from chaos and unhealth toward health. And we really want to say, where do people, where are people? And if you're hearing me, you're like, well, I'm a mature Christian. And as I hear that, I think that means I'm not going to be fed. I'm just going to say this very nicely, fed, if you're, if you're the mature Christian that you claim to be, get out of the high chair, grab a fork and feed yourself. That is not the same, that is not the same as saying come here expecting to be filled All right, we come here empty and we're like, fill me. God, I need a word. Don't feel bad about that. But there's a consumerism in the church that goes without being addressed. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Again, Acts 2, sitting at the apostles' teaching. And I'm not claiming that. I'm not claiming that at all. But can you imagine the early church going like, yeah, I didn't really like his stories. He went long. I heard some of this stuff before. No, there wasn't consumerism. There weren't a million churches you could just do this like ecclesiastical all about. I like this church's music. I like this church's. No. It's do we hear from God or not? That's the question we're asking. And there's invitations that come with that and there's commitments that we're going to make. And here's why this matters. This matters because I have a friend. We'll call him Chris. A guy we'll call Chris. I met Chris... At an interesting time in his life. I met Chris after he had been a part of a church for many years. And this church uh, had recently imploded. Uh, They had a, a pastor who, to say he was abusive and scandalous is an understatement. I'm not making this up. Uh, His wife was a cancer survivor. One of the things I heard that he did was he chased his wife with an axe down the street in explosive anger. Um, Another thing that he did was it was a church plant and he was the contact person for a lot of donors and so people would donate money to the church plant and he would then you know scrape some of it off and then go to strip clubs and brothels with the prophet. And so the church plant's like, man, we're just struggling to get by. Why is that? So this is where Chris came from, this environment. And he was really hurt by this pastor. Uh, and I met many people who went to that church years after that. And they were, they were just so disappointed with faith. I mean, it, they're like, I look, we love Jesus, but we are not stepping foot in a church. <sighs> I get that. So... Chris is disappointed with church. He, he, uh, he's at work and it, he had a job where his boss was irresponsible with work but kept getting work in. And so he's having to keep the company afloat. He's got a, a two-year-old at home with uh, one that's expectant on the way. And so at 7 o'clock in the morning, we had gathered with him at another broken egg cafe. And it was the first time in my life that I had smelled vodka on someone before 7 o'clock in the morning. And Chris was in denial about his situation. And what the denial was, was that he felt any pain. I don't feel pain. As we kept talking with Chris, though, what became clear was that, and again, please don't hear me trying to put a silver bullet on things or tie things up with a ribbon. There's complicated things that Chris went to rehab, and I don't know how it worked out. But Chris was seeing his situations and making theological decisions. God is far. God is cruel. The church is a joke. And the question is, did Chris have anyone in his life to put their arm around him and say, Chris, are you open to another perspective? He is there And he is not silent. What if he was for you, Chris? I think he is. There's this thing called grace. And Chris, what you need to know about grace is that the Greek word for grace is charis and the Greek word for joy is kara. And those two words are indistinguishable in Greek. Meaning, when when we have grace, it means the Father delights in us. So Chris, I feel you. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. A lot of things we just had to sit with God about. And who is that father? Well, He delights in you. He loves you. He's moving towards you. He's for you. Chris, that's the other perspective. We call it revelation. See, if we just leave it to ourselves to figure out, we're never going to get that revelation. But God speaks. And we live in a moment where it feels like there's a lot of closed doors. People aren't curious. They've got their minds made up. But just because we're facing a closed door does not mean our days of walking through open doors are behind us. Some doors you can knock on and they open, and some doors you can massage, and some doors you just push open. And we're in a moment where the doors are not flying open, and it's going to take creativity to say, Lord, What are you inviting us into right now? Because we're going to walk through that door. We're going to make disciples. Chris needs that. The Chris's in your life need that. That's why we gather. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.